subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for conversations with veterinarians, oncologists, rehab therapists, and other experts discussing amputation for dogs and cats. Find more info, helpful care tips, and a free gift at tripods.com slash radio. Thank you for tuning in to Tripod Talk Radio, where we're spreading the word that it's better to hop on three legs than limp on four. Hosted by Jim and Renee and Wyatt Ray of the Tripod Blogs community at Tripod.com, Jerry's Place for canine amputees and their people. Saturday, May 28, 2011. Over the past couple of years, we have visited California Animal Rehab in Santa Monica, California, and produced a number of interviews about rehab therapy, exercises, stretching, and acupuncture for dogs after an amputation. These videos can be found at tripods.com slash tag slash care. But right now, we are honored to have with us one of the founders of CARE, Dr. Jessica Waldman. Welcome, Dr. Waldman. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. We're, we're thrilled to have you live and in person. So everybody, call up. Call with your questions. We do invite listeners to join us in the chat room at tripods.com slash chat or call 310-388-9739 with your questions. But before we get going, Dr. Waldman, perhaps we could briefly, you could briefly explain the initials following your name, BMD, CVA, CCRT, and discuss why it's important to look for such credentials when seeking rehab care for dogs. Sure. So the VMD is actually just a veterinary degree because I'm a veterinarian, but my mom thinks it stands for Very Marvelous Daughter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The other initial CVA is Certified Veterinary Acupuncturist. Um, And then the last one is CCRT, which is Certified Canine Rehabilitation Therapist. So those those last two, the acupuncturist and the rehabilitation certifications, are certifications that veterinarians can obtain after veterinary school. Um, one obviously teaches you acupuncture and one rehabilitation. That same rehabilitation certificate, CCRT, can also be obtained by licensed physical therapists. So those qualifications are, to me, the utmost of importance when you're looking for someone to help you with rehabilitation for your pet because you definitely want a veterinarian on site and helping. And in the ideal world, a physical therapist as well. And both of them would have those CCRT you know, certification letters after their name. And obviously, acupuncture can only help the situation too. Dr. Waldman, can you uh, tell us uh, a little bit about why you decided to go into canine rehab instead of just veterinary practice? And um, tell us what has been the most rewarding thing about about starting care with uh, Dr. Kramer. So I I actually had started to think about rehabilitation during my internship, which was a one-year-long kind of torture or educational year. After, after veterinary school, because I worked closely with the veterinary neurologist, and she had a lot of pets that had a lot of issues with mobility and spine problems and spinal surgeries and paralysis. 
And she kept saying, where am I supposed to send my pets? Where am I supposed to send them now? I can't just leave them on the floor here. So I started to think about that as um, I kind of progressed through the early stages of my career. And um, and then I actually met Dr. Amy Kramer online because she she was looking for a veterinarian who wanted to do rehabilitation with her. So we had, you know, a fun little rendezvous meeting. And um, we had a lot of the same goals and interests and we sought out, you know, the certification programs. We both did kind of the same one, which was the one that gave us that CCRT. And um, it was kind of history. That's about, I guess, five or six years ago. And there's oh, there's so many rewarding things um, about it. I think that, you know, just on a really simple note, things that I was taught in veterinary school that probably wouldn't get better or seemed hopeless, I've seen hope or recovery from. And to me, defying the odds or defying, you know, what I was taught and seeing the pets improve in a way I didn't know was possible is pretty much like little miracles all the time. So I think that's probably the best part. That That is so great because we, we definitely try to tell people that. I mean, if, if people haven't investigated canine rehab and they think there's no hope, I mean, at least they can look into it because, I mean, the stories that you've told us and the success stories that are on your website really show that, that you know, anything's possible with the right kind of, of doctors out there helping. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's just it's important for people and even, you know, professionals in the field to think, well, you know, perhaps the odds aren't for it, but um, you don't know unless you try. And that, that attitude has gotten us really, really far and gotten a lot of pets really far and gotten a lot of people really happy. So I think, you know, just staying open you know, maybe is one of the most important things for all of us. That website that Renee mentioned for care is calanimalrehab.com. But when it comes to amputation and canine amputees in general, what signs can people look for to determine if their tripod actually needs rehab after surgery? I mean, some just bounce back and fly off the walls. Others don't get up for days. What, What should people be looking for to determine whether they need professional help after an amputation? Well, I think it would probably be best if all pets after amputation had um, rehabilitation, just because they they have to completely change the way they move and transition and the way they support their weight, and it's going to cause some compensatory issues. So although some pets, like you said, especially small ones or young ones, they'll bounce back super quickly, I still think it's probably a really good idea to get some rehabilitation, in addition to just learning what you can do to help your pet at home, like immediately post-op. Um, you know, it's <laughs> it's funny. If you were to get your ACL repaired, you know, your cruciate ligament in your knee, the most, you know, a really common injury in people, you know, you'd wake up from anesthesia, you know, in a machine that puts your knee through range of motion. So in the human world, they'll start rehabilitation before you even wake up from anesthesia. So I think it's a nice model to follow, which is that, you know, it's it's only going to help. It's never going to hurt. So I think it would be important for us to learn, you know, for people with amp- new amputees to learn the stretches and limitations and things like that that I think would help them right off the bat. I, I think that is great advice because we, we noticed that um, when we had Jerry, uh, founder of Tripods, he uh, we did not know about rehab back then. And, you know, he had some issues. He bounced back pretty quickly, but later as time progressed, he 
he slowed down partly due to the cancer, but partly due because he was just tired from hopping. Mm-hmm. And um, with our Wyatt Ray, you know, we we met you guys right after we got him, and uh, you know, we've been doing exercises and core strengthening and things like that. And he's uh, he's super strong now, and it's wonderful to see. Um, You're doing a good job, Renee. And thank you. Thanks. Well, it's all because of you guys. Um, I wanted to ask you, what are some things that people should ask a potential rehab therapist? Because there's a lot of people out there who say they can do it, but how do we how do we find the really good ones? Gosh, I know. That's a good question. Um, I think the, the, e- the easiest thing is credentials, like we had talked about earlier. So having a veterinarian there that's involved that also has certification in rehab, Ideally, having a physical therapist that's there with also that same rehabilitation certification. And beyond that, I think I would ask them about, um, you know, basically strategies. I mean, to me, if you're talking about a tripod, which we are, especially a new amputee, you know, number one, number one is pain management, you know. Number two would be um, slow introduction to function, breaking down the different steps slowly and having the pet learn to repeat them in terms of how do they get up or how do they form and, you know, go from a sit to a stand and what are those little steps and breaking it down. And then I would also, you know, think flexibility is a big thing. So maybe if you were to just ask them, you know, what are your goals? You know, and make sure that it just kind of makes sense that, you know, remember with all rehabilitation or anything that's considered painful or maybe not as functional, um, you know, pain management is the key. Number two is flexibility and range of motion. And once you've achieved those things, then you work on strengthening. So I'd make sure that perhaps, you know, their mindsets are similar and not into strengthening, strengthening, strengthening. Because if you run into that first, you end up really debilitating the pet as opposed to helping it. With those things in mind, how long does it usually take for rehab therapy to show results? Um, You mean for like a new amputee? Sure. In general, yeah. Um, I think that we'd see results at three to four weeks, and I think that you'd get to like a plateau area at about eight to 12 weeks. So is that um, of how many sessions per week, or is this including homework done? I, I think it includes homework done, especially with an amputee, because they really have everything to learn over again. And you also are going to be training them in a way that they might not have been trained before. So perhaps before it was okay for them to jump up and down on the bed, and now it's not. You know, so it really is going to be kind of a holistic in the sense of the owner, the owner thinking about all sorts of things in the home and the environment, the owner doing the homework and the stretches like you guys are doing, and then also, you know, the rehab in the clinic, which I would say would be probably ideally three times a week if possible for the owner. And uh, when it comes to the types of therapies that are out there, um, a lot of people see hydrotherapy and they assume that that is is the cat's pajamas. That is what we need to do with our tripod to make them stronger. Um, Did you you say the cat's pajamas? I did, didn't I? Oh, my God. (laughs) pajamas. We are talking about cats and dogs. But, um, okay, so what's your opinion on, on hydrotherapy? Is it the end-all, be-all for, for canine rehab or, you know, what, what do you, how do you feel about it? Well, I, I think hydrotherapy is an excellent tool that we use in rehabilitation. I think that um, the reason why it's really great is because pets, 
it for in an underwater treadmill situation. You could place the water at a height that they can walk or learn certain movements at 80% weightlessness, which is great. Swimming can also achieve about the same amount of weightlessness but isn't really, you know, simulating walking, which is a little bit of, you know, not perhaps always the goal. But I think of it like anything else. What the physical therapist like Amy Kramer, who I work with, always says is when you go to the physical therapist, how often do you go in the pool? You know, the chances are pretty slim. So you have a shoulder issue, you have, you know, whatever your injuries are, there may be like a whirlpool involved, but oftentimes swimming or hydrotherapy is not part of the protocol. And that's pretty much how we approach it as well, which is that, you know, hydrotherapy is nice for gait training. It's nice for um, active range of motion of certain joints, and it's nice for strengthening. But just how we were mentioning before, if we haven't controlled the primary issues that we have in pets or that we see especially, let's say, in a post-op case, such as pain management and flexibility, and we go ahead and we push to something like hydrotherapy, I have seen over and over that the results aren't so good. So to me, I could take it or leave hydrotherapy as a whole, but since we have it as an option, and oftentimes the pets think it's super fun, you know, it's by the way, the owners probably like it more <laughs> than the pets, <laughs> but we don't let them get in because that would be that would be wild. But um, but I think you know, I think it's a nice tool if used at the right time. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't put an amputee post op, you know, in the in any kind of water for probably at least four weeks, and until I felt like pain was under really good control. You're referring to hydrotherapy as a tool. What are some of the other tools I've heard you mention, like active exercises, and what other tools do you use when looking at a dog and, and determining what type of rehab they may need? So after after we assess a pet, um, then we kind of come up with the degree of pain, the, the problem list. So, you know, for example, <clears throat> a tripod, let's say, with a hind limb um, amputee, um, that dog is going to lose the remaining hip um, extension or bringing the hip backwards because now it walks as a tripod or kind of pokes its leg up and down instead of taking long steps. So we can now say, okay, our problem list is, you know, pain at the surgery site. We have to deal with that. We have to deal with the lack of flexibility or range of motion, especially in, let's say, the remaining hip or leg. Both of the front legs, the weight will be shifted forward onto it once they've had a hind limb taken off. So the pet will lose um, functional extension or reaching in those front legs, that shoulder extension. That's another issue. So we kind of compile this list. Also, they always have some amount of back pain because they curve more. They're depending a lot more on core strength and working the spinal muscles. So we kind of create this big problem list based on pain, um, flexibility, and function. And then what we do is we have different tools to, to address each of these things. So for pain, for me, acupuncture is probably the most beneficial thing that we can do. Um, also for pain management manual work, so whether it's the physical therapist call it soft tissue mobilization, you would just call it, you know, really kind of getting in and loosening things up and making sure all the tissues are really mobile with their hands, so the manual work. Other things like electronic stimulation, um, you know, when you attach little gel pads, you know, some people have been through physical therapy have had this, and they send a current, can really decrease pain. Um, obviously, medications, this is why it's always important to have, you know, a veterinarian on site and, and managing because meds are hugely important as well as supplements. And then when you move to the flexibility or range of motion issues, most of that is 
a combination of either manual work to try to improve those deficiencies and or a combination of active exercises like you referred to where you're still trying to achieve a certain goal but you're trying to do it through having the pet do emotion to get that same goal rather than to take your hands and do it that way. And then finally, strengthening, which is always the last part of any rehabilitation. You know, that's um, the tools we use are mostly exercises or and or hydrotherapy, I guess, in that case. So um, there's lots and lots of different things, and it's kind of a question of when you use them. Some things that Something that's really popular out there today that I think has a role, but I'd call it a very limited one, is the therapeutic laser. So have you guys heard of that? No, tell us a little bit about it. I've heard something about it, but um, please uh, explain. It's it's becoming. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. People may call it cold cold laser, laser, the therapeutic laser. Um, It's really booming in popularity, um, which I think is perhaps not the best thing for a few reasons. But what it really does is it. um, There's different settings and different probes, and the concept is it will increase circulation to a certain site. And if you increase circulation through increasing inflammation, the body can help heal. So that's really the concept. Um, there is another kind of probe or setting you could use that really helps with wound care, which is not as important with this. But for that, I find it exceptionally helpful and probably unparalleled with what else we can do to help with wound care and healing. But in terms of using it for arthritis or joint pain or things like that, which is um, or back pain, which is what people are really um, advertising it for, it really does not work as a standalone treatment. I mean, I can't tell you how much it doesn't work. It's it's kind of irrelevant. It's one of those things where if you have the exact right scenario for and you use it in conjunction with all the other things that we had just mentioned, it can be a nice tool. But a lot of um, practices, I think, have gotten sold literally by the companies into thinking this is the miracle thing, I've seen this happen in the area we practice in L.A., and some practices will just sell laser treatments, and people come to us 10 weeks later saying, well, I've been doing the laser treatment at blah, blah, blahs for 10 weeks, and but it's just not, it's not effective enough to be a standalone treatment, not to mention that it can cause burns. So you really have to make sure that the people that are using it really understand it. Ouch. Yeah, literally, literally wow. ouch. <laughs> Well, we we have heard some members uh, talk about it, and and I I just personally didn't know a lot about it, so thank you for explaining that. Um, I wanted to ask you, we have some user questions here, and we have a member whose non-tripod dog is is older and has arthritis, and she wanted to take him for acupuncture to a clinic that she um, goes to and is very familiar with. Um, She took the dog for the first time last week or so, and after treatment, he was really wobbly and couldn't stand up and, and was just wiped out. Mm-hmm. Um, this member's vet said that dogs can get worse before they get better. I uh, just wanted to get your opinion on that statement. Yeah, so, okay, so acupuncture is amazing. And like any tool, you just have to figure out how to use it best for the pet you're treating. Um, basically, one thing you should make sure of is that the person doing acupuncture is a vet and not a human acupuncturist because you need the person to understand the pet's real problems and where the joints are and where the issues are. The other thing is um, there's different kinds of acupuncture. So one is called dry needle where you just put the, the, the little needle in and you kind of leave it. 
Another option is called electroacupuncture, when you put the needle in and then you attach these little electrodes and you run a current. Another option is to inject something into a site called aquapuncture. The reason why I'm telling you this is because they all have different amounts of efficacy, but they also have different amounts of draining of the body they'll do. So along those same lines, how long you leave needles in definitely affects the effects. So this is kind of a an interplay that you have to do with the pet. So if the pet has its first treatment like the person you're talking about, um, and the dog's exceptionally wobbly, number one, you have to realize that acupuncture, no matter what, is sedating. And if a dog has mobility, it's like this. If a dog has mobility problems, you've all probably heard of this or seen this scenario, and you give that dog a really big dose of a painkiller, that dog is looking like it's drunk and it's not walking because that dog is already compromised, you know, and then you give it this extra sedation, and now it, it looks terrible, basically. So that's one thing that definitely happens and you have to kind of be cautious of right away. The other thing is, um, you know, what they what they really teach us in acupuncture is the only bad response is no response at all. So the fact that this pet was wobbly could have just been from sedation. The way the vet could alter that would be to leave the needles in for a shorter amount of time, to use fewer needles, or if they used something like electroacupuncture, which is kind of a stronger thing, they could remove that. So there are three things that they could change to kind of make that treatment not as strong for that pet. Chinese medicine looks at these older, weaker pets, and they say they don't have enough chi, they don't have enough energy. So if you move it too much or drain it too much with all of your treatments, they can be really depleted or really weak after. So there's a lot of things that that can do, but I but I agree that um, that it is an interplay, and I don't I don't I don't think of it like they get better before they get worse, but I think of it like, you know, we might not get the response we want right away. And just so you know, the average response time to acupuncture treatment is three sessions, so you kind of need to stick with it for at least three to have some idea if this is something that's going to be helping your pet. Thanks. That, that's really important. I was actually going to ask about the getting worse before better, so you answered my question. But we do have one of your biggest fans in our chat room right now, um, and, and she asks, backing up a bit, about education and, in particular, you know, veterinary degrees. Do you believe that rehab education should be a requirement for general veterinary practitioners? Oh, my gosh. Wait till you hear all my views on changing the veterinary world. I mean, you don't have any... <laughs> Okay, what I really think should happen, this goes way beyond the scope of this question, what I really think should happen is I think that vets should be, you know, decide if they're doing the small animals or large animals. I think they should go to separate schools, and I think that not only do they go to separate schools, they should have required internships and residencies after, and I think that when you have all that time and all that training, you definitely get educated in everything more, like rehabilitation and acupuncture. So you come out and you see what people are choosing and you have a really good understanding. You know, what happens now is, you know, some of the vets in our area who are quite bright and excellent veterinarians, I mean, they have no idea what we do. They weren't educated on it. They don't understand Eastern medicine at all. They don't understand rehab. And then we try to give them our talk and they kind of think we might be crazy. <laughs> no, but so... Which sometimes we are crazy, so, okay, that's true. But but really, I mean, wow, it would be such a benefit to the pets if vets were better educated. But the truth is the structure of vet school is every single animal you can think of in four years in all aspects. Wow. And good luck to you. <laughs> <laughs> but you come out much more of a generalist 
than, than yeah, specialists as human That's right, doctors. and that's why if you have special interests, you can do these certifications or these other things, which I, I understand, but you know, wouldn't it be nice if we had a little longer training and a little more specific in the beginning, and we'd all, I think, provide a little bit of a better service. So that's, that's, that's one of my goals. <laughs> I think it's, it's, a, lot I think it's a great goal. <laughs> uh, and so speaking of, of general practice issues and things, um, mm-hmm. we have a member who had his amputation done, and now he has this incredible amount of dandruff growing around the incision area. Okay. Um, his mom wanted to know, is that normal, and, and what can she do about it? Um, okay, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I'm not exactly sure if it's just dry skin, um, which is, could be pretty normal. You know, when after the body has been cut into or injured, the the skin cells are reproducing and doing all these things to try to grow the skin back together. So there can be all sorts of flaking and dryness and things like that. And as long as the sutures are out of the incision, you know, it should happen, you know, within two weeks. She can definitely do like a little exfoliating with them, you know, just like a, a cloth that's a little bit wet and just to kind of get the, the skin off. Another thing is just like pets that have skin conditions, like there's we call it hyperkeratosis or this kind of thick and dry skin issue that a lot of pets can get. Um, there's lots of shampoos that are topical and medicated but you can get from your vet that will help to break down that actual kind of thickened scaly skin, we call it scale, um, and she could use that, you know, a couple times a week, so she could get that from her vet, and that would be, it would just be the same thing that she would use, you know, for, you know, a generalized skin condition, and the vet can help with that, and then the other thing she could do is, um, obviously, like you, I think we had talked, you had mentioned in the email, but, um, you know, some fish oil in the diet, because that will just help, you know, moisturize the skin a little bit. And this is kind of the, this is when we sound crazy, but the Chinese medicine concept would be to increase, um, you know, foods with more moisture or more cool, because that's considered kind of a dryness or a heat issue. So some foods that she could always add to the diet would be something like kidney beans in small amounts, or um, beef in small amounts, cooked extra lean, or um, you know, maybe even like a little bit of cooked broccoli or something like that. <laughs> that's that's the crazy stuff, but <laughs> I like to put it all together because usually usually the combination works. Sure. Um, Dakota's mom actually just joined us in our chat room, and she mentions that the fur is different now. It's actually more wiry than it was before. Is, oh, yeah. Is that something? Yeah, yeah. That's probably not going to change. Yeah, I think once, once the whole um, hair cycle has been altered like that from the trauma of the area. Sometimes the fur comes back a different color and never changes or it comes back thinner or more wiry or it never grows to the same length. And even in weird cases, it grows even longer than the, than the fur next to it. So I guess um, she'll just have to think that's super cute. Yeah, and she's actually mentioned that it's, it is actually uh, completely grown back now, so the exfoliating won't work, but um, she's going to okay. try that fish holes. So thank, thanks for that. While we're talking about supplements and such. Um, you had a point of view we discussed once about not using hip and joint supplements until an issue arises. And could you explain your view on, say, glucosamine type supplements, when they should be used and why? Sure. Um, actually, I can use my own dog, Tate, who has four legs, so don't be mad at her. She's, Quite <laughs> she, right. has, <laughs> she has her own issues, though. Okay. <laughs> but, um, 
but my dog was diagnosed with hip dysplasia. Dysplasia means that they either have arthritis in the joint or too much looseness or laxity in the joint, which is why you can diagnose hip dysplasia as a puppy because it's too loose or as a 13-year-old dog because they have arthritis. So anyhow, she was diagnosed with the laxity part of hip dysplasia or the looseness part when she was a puppy. And um, so I always knew once there's laxity there and there's too much motion, um, arthritis is coming. It's just a question of when. So um, just like with her, there have been there have never been any studies that show that um, glucosamine in people or in animals preventatively can slow down or stop um, the progression of arthritis. So I just waited. I kept her thin. I did all of her, you know, exercises and stretching. And she just, she's 11 and a half, and as of uh, her last x-ray, I saw my first signs of arthritis. So I just started her on joint supplements, and um, and actually she's doing a little bit better now. But uh, I don't think we should treat things that aren't broken. I think that's, um, you know, probably not so helpful, especially because if you then, now my dog needs it, you know, she's an older dog, and... Um, and the body just gets used to things, you know, just like people who have arthritis and they take aspirin every day. Well, at a certain point, aspirin doesn't really help them so much. Their body's really accustomed to it. So I think you should kind of use it as you need it, you know, rather than jump the gun and maybe they need it later and now you're, you don't really have that option anymore. With, with just about a minute left here, are there any you know, dietary considerations that can help with hips and joints rather than supplementing? I think a lot. I think... Um, you know, probably the most important thing is to, when people have puppies, this is only relevant to them, to have the puppy grow really slowly. So not using puppy food and making sure the pet stays thin as it's growing. So it will still achieve its maximum size. But making sure the rate is really slow, that's probably the most important thing. Um, additionally, I'm not sure <laughs> if certain carbohydrates or certain things might might help with, you know, make arthritis worse. But I think if people, you know, think what's closest to natural for pets, I think that's important and keeping them as kind of thin as possible. There's Thanks. I, I hate to cut you off, but our oh, time okay. is actually limited to a half hour, and okay. we're just going to have to say thank you very much <laughs> and pick up this discussion in the chat room at SciPods.com. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Until next time on Tripod Talk Radio, learn more about canine amputation recovery and find the best gear for three-legged dogs at tripods.com. tuning in. Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for more pet amputation tips from experts and claim your free gift just for listeners at downloads.tripods.com slash podcast.